Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. He's getting to be a short timer here. Uh, year has gone by quickly, and uh, as I was reminded recently that uh, until Vicar Golden got here, uh, we had not known anything about pandemic or national shutdowns or suspended worship services, and so the uh, the theory and the thesis that we're going with is that it's his fault. And don't forget the riots. Oh, yes, yes, uh, especially the riots. And uh, we have decided that we're going to tear down all the statues of Vicar Golden and after we deface them properly. Yes, yes. <laughs> May uh, the Saharan dust sweep uh, over you. Oh, gosh, yeah, there <laughs> Don't you forget go. murder hornets. <laughs> oh, boy. So you can tell we're in a bit of an ornery mood here this morning. Uh, as we uh, record this each week, we come together in our program called Proclaiming the One. We take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday in the church year. We do this to help prepare you for worship, uh, for pastors that are listening, to help prepare you to preach. And we pray God's blessings as we look at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. We have uh, kind of a uniting theme here uh, with regard to spreading the gospel to the whole world, uh, God calling um, frail and broken men to be his servants, the office of the holy ministry, so that this life-giving and life-changing gospel would go forth. The gospel reading for the fifth Sunday after Trinity is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Vicar, take it away. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, so here we have the call of the first disciples. We have the miraculous catch of fish. And, uh, Pastor, uh, this text sounds familiar, 
But it also reminds me of a time when Peter says, uh, get away from me, Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I come from a people of unclean lips, almost exactly the same as um, uh, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, is this is this the only place where we have this miracle? What uh, what do we have going on here? Well, no, we have it recorded for us several places in Scripture, and um, I, I think importantly, um, we have this especially in John's Gospel, where it kind of serves as a bookend in the sense that uh, at the end of John's Gospel, this is also a sign of the resurrection when they catch fish again, uh, and so uh, Scripture records multiple times where there's miraculous catch miraculous catches of fish say that three times fast and uh, also um, we have it at different points in Christ's ministry and so we have lots of these sorts of accounts whenever we have a miracle uh, a miracle is something that defies nature a miracle is something that testifies to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be God in the flesh and every miracle sets the stage as you said for the resurrection, the greatest miracle, the mother of all miracles, and kind of a confirmation of the disciples' call is that miraculous catch of fish at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus feeds the disciples as well. Uh, wonderful, wonderful account. In Luke 5, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, that's kind of a almost a throwaway line there, but I want to I want to explore that a little bit, Pastor. The people were pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. That um, uh, that's pretty profound, isn't it? It is, and I think that's one of the key things in this particular text is that. All of this is a result of the word of Jesus. The people are coming to hear the word that he speaks. Uh, the disciples let down the nets, having heard the word uh, of Jesus, and uh, even the idea that they're going to go out and to become fishers of men. The way that they do that uh, is by preaching the word of Jesus. And so we see here that Jesus is a Lutheran. Uh, the disciples are learning to be Lutherans. They're beginning their confirmation class, if you will. Uh, and the way we say this is because because they are focused on preaching the Word of God, and we also know from other places in Scripture they're focused on the sacraments as well. This is early on in uh, Jesus' ministry here in Luke chapter 5. We have uh, the temptation in the wilderness. We have Jesus opening up the scroll in Luke 4 and preaching from Isaiah and boldly saying, uh, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And uh, that got him pretty much chased out of Nazareth um, uh, by, by making that bold proclamation. But he starts doing miracles, and the people are following him because of the miracles. And yet here in our text, it doesn't say that they follow Jesus so that they could see a miracle. They followed Jesus so that they could hear the word of God. Pastor, you've spoken about this many times, especially when we're talking about the book of Acts and the, the relationship of miracles to the word of God. King Herod, at the passion of Jesus, he wanted to see a miracle. He didn't want to hear the word of God. 
So can you help sort this out? And maybe the underlying question is, uh, why don't we have miracles in the church today? Well, um, first off, yeah, faith does come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And there are disciples uh, that do miracles in the book of Acts, and Jesus does many miracles here in the, the Gospels. And those miracles do get people's attention, but they don't actually convey the faith uh, or teach people what it means to be a Christian. Uh, time out, time out. Are you telling me that a miracle doesn't save anybody? Um, not in a, a faith sort of way. It might heal them from an illness, but they'll still face death, and they still possibly could uh, uh, go to hell for their uh, lack of unfaith. Faith only comes by hearing and by the sacraments, which also deliver the Word of God. And so um, the Word needs to uh, accompany miracles for it to be efficacious, and that's the key thing here as well. The, they catch the fish, but Jesus preaching is actually the thing that um, allows Peter to understand what's going on, to fall down at the feet of Christ and say, uh, uh, I'm a sinner, and uh, um, depart from me. And it's that word of God that accomplishes these things always. Now, in our world today, are there miracles that happen? Of course there are. Um, and many of them happen within the, the bounds of the divine service. You know, we have baptism, we have the Lord's Supper. That's miraculous uh, when you think about it, the things that God is doing for us. Uh, and are there possibly healings and uh, driving out demons and things like that. I, I think there probably are. Uh, we probably don't hear as much about them in our world today because we poo-poo them or we come up with scientific answers. But still, those things on their own do not create faith. God's Word only does that. A lot of times when, uh, when people think about something miraculous, they're digging potatoes in their garden, and uh, they come across a potato that, oh, this, this potato looks like St. Peter. Uh, this, this potato is in the shape of a cross. And, you know, that potato might feed you, but it's certainly not going to save you unless there is a word of God that accompanies that potato that points you to the completed work of Jesus. I think that is extremely important for us to, uh, to be reminded of. Pastor Kuhlman is... Uh, uh, very, it's very common for Pastor Kuhlman to make a comment that it is a miracle that anybody shows up to hear the Word of God. And I think that may be the greatest miracle of all that we take for granted, that the Holy Spirit moves hearts to want to hear the Word of God and believe it. Can, uh, in the time that we have left in this segment, can you give us a little geography about this uh, Lake of Gennesaret? and yeah. uh, how this kind of fits into this early part of the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, definitely. Um, so if we look at uh, a, a map of Israel, we have the Mediterranean Sea on the left in the west, uh, and then on the right side in the east we have the Jordan River. And the Jordan River flows from a small lake uh, in the north, um, the lake of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, depending on whether you're using a, a Roman name or a Hebrew name. Um, and then the, the Jordan River flows south into the Dead Sea. And so this lake is the one in the north. Um, it is uh, below 
below sea level. It's a very low spot, um, not as low as the Dead Sea, of course, but um, it's kind of got uh, steep hills on all the sides. This probably takes place on the northern shore um, near the town of Capernaum. In fact, uh, this is where we believe Peter uh, is from, according to the scriptures. And there's a big statue of him there, uh, at least near uh, that particular location. And um, uh, they also have found uh, in the town of Capernaum a, a house and around the house, the ancient church built a uh, octagon-shaped building to worship there. And so there's a belief that that might have been Peter's house uh, and perhaps even the room where Jesus stayed when Jesus used Capernaum as kind of a base for his preaching and teaching ministry in the area. Okay. So Jesus sees the boats. Uh, fishermen had gone out to them. They were washing their nets. Why does a fisherman wash his nets? Well, um, the kind of nets that they used back then were casting nets. And so it would be uh, a string tied to your wrist, and then uh, it would be a number of yards long. And then there'd be a net on the end of that uh, that was circular in shape with stones or uh, lead weights uh, attached around the outside of it. And you don't only catch fish when you do that you also catch other things and so you have to get those things out you have to repair the nets you have to take care of the nets so that they last longer so you don't have to make new ones uh, and so this is the whole idea they're doing this as maintenance uh, so that they can continue to fish the next day and keep their nets in proper working order without tangles and things like that it also signifies that they're done fishing for the day it definitely does okay so with that thought in mind we're going to uh, hear about this miraculous catch of fish when we come back don't change that dial proclaiming the one fifth sunday after trinity we'll be right back you are listening to knalp 95.7 fm lincoln nebraska Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship, 8 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings, 6.30 on Wednesday evenings, year-round. Hear these uh, readings and hear the preaching from these readings. Hear the Word of God. Believe it. Keep it. Luke 5, 1-11. We have... uh, Jesus at the lake of Gennesaret. We have the disciples who are done fishing. And then Jesus kind of boldly, um, he sees these boats, and then he gets into one of them. And it just happened to be Simon's, and we know Simon's going to be Peter later on. He asked him to put out a little from the land. This is uh, for acoustical purposes. Am I right there, Pastor? Yeah, it is. Um, You think about... um Think about the movie uh, 
A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, where... Just on TV last week. Was it? Uh, yeah. they're, they're getting chased by uh, crowds of people who are pushing in on them everywhere they go. They can't drive their car to get to shows and to their homes because there's a gaggle of uh, screaming teenage girls surrounding them. And think about how hard it would be to actually speak to that group when they're that close and be able to reach all of them. And so uh, to accommodate them, Jesus has them sit on the shore. He goes out in a boat and... uh you know, fishermen know that uh, sound carries really well across the water because it's flat and smooth. Um, and so that's what he does. He he goes out into the boat and he's able to preach to the whole group that's gathered around without him being too close and blocking the sound. He's able to reach more people because the water bounces the sound back that direction. And so it allows him to preach the word of God more clearly to these folks. So he preaches to the crowd uh, and included in that crowd are the fishermen and uh that's that's pretty amazing there too that the that the fishermen after a uh, hard day's night of uh, fishing uh put up with jesus getting in the boat to preach well and you can imagine them they get out of the boat they're washing their nets and this guy is being followed by a large crowd of people and he says hey can you push out so i can talk to all these folks uh without having all these problems and they, they might be in a little bit of awe of him in that regard as well and so they do just that and they're sitting there in the boat they're the ones who get the the word first if you will uh and i think there might even be a little bit of um uh theology here in the fact that they are in the boat uh knowing that the boat oftentimes does represent the church as well Okay, so we don't have recorded for us the sermon that Jesus preached at that particular time. But when he's done, um, something even more astonishing happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, um, I have thrown a cast net trying to catch bait fish. And we're not saying castanet, you know, like the uh, Spanish instrument. Yes, yeah. So, but it's a it's a round. It comes in various sizes. There's an art to being able to throw this so that the net hits the water flat, and then it sinks down. And then at the appropriate time, you pull on the string and you cinch it up tight, and hopefully you have something in the net. Um, it's not easy to do, and the deeper the water, the more difficult it is to do because the net can't go all, the, go all the way to the bottom. The fish have plenty of opportunity to swim out from the net. And so generally, this kind of f- uh, fishing is done in medium to shallow water, not in the deep. And so Jesus says, go out into the deep. And Simon's trying to be nice. Uh, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And then he says, but at your word... I will let down the nets. Am I thinking too much at this point in time, Pastor, that the word that the crowds gathered around to hear Jesus preach has now moved Peter so that he actually believes the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth? I I think he's... Or is he just being polite? I, I think it's a combination of both. He, he, we can't say that God's word doesn't work. It does. And so I think he's beginning to get some of this faith, um, and he's starting to figure it out and understand it. And yet at the same time, I think he doesn't really fully believe or understand yet. And I don't know that he will until 
Um, until finally there is the resurrection that happens. He kind of goes back and forth between that time, and lots of times preachers and pastors make a big deal out of this, you know, uh, boneheaded Peter just doesn't get it. Well, he's no different than us in that regard, and so he is learning and being taught the faith and growing in it by hearing the word more and more and more, uh, and finally understanding the fullness of it at the time of the resurrection. So, um, I think he's heard enough of the word to understand that Jesus is somebody important. Does he understand that he's God in the flesh? No. Does he understand that he's the redemption for sins? No, probably not. But he he maybe understands that this is at least a faithful teacher, and he's um, acting with reverence towards the preaching office then in this way. He, uh, he does call him master, so we know that there's some authority thing going on here. Vicar, what happens when they throw down their nets into the deep water? So much fish that uh, nets were breaking, and they had to get help. Um, they, they Fishermen are partners with each other, dividing the, the spoils of fishing, and so they had to call all their friends to, to help them get all the fish out. In, in a sense, uh, they had the winning lottery ticket. Um, they, they were done fishing for the night. They were unsuccessful, and now they have two boats full of fish, which are going to bring lots and lots of money at the market. And instead of Peter, um, you know, like we, we see on the fishing shows on TV, I love to watch Wicked Tuna, and uh, they're, they're counting how much money they're going to make before they even get the fish in the boat sometimes. Oh, that's a $10,000 fish. Oh, yo, that kind of a thing. Um, Peter has a bit of a different reaction. How does Peter react and why, Pastor? Well, uh, he's heard Jesus preaching, and he's probably thought he's at least some sort of a, a faithful teacher, but it's not until they catch so many fish so easily and so quickly that uh, things start to sink in that maybe this guy isn't isn't just an average Joe. Uh, that's when uh, things start to sink in that this guy is maybe a little bit more because this is an Old Testament style miracle where uh, the great prophets that are recorded in the Old Testament maybe could have done this. Uh, but Jesus even does it more ease than that to somebody like um, Elisha or Elijah. And so J Peter's been to church, he's been to catechism, he knows the Old Testament uh, from hearing it many times, and he understands that Jesus fits the mold of these Old Testament guys, and so he falls down at his feet uh, here and beginning to understand clearly. He, uh, he confesses his sin. He does. And uh, that, is, that is, to me, a miraculous response to the miraculous catch of fish, that instead of counting his money— Instead of thinking how quickly they can get to the market before it closes, that kind of stuff, uh, he immediately realizes his own unworthiness and his own sinfulness. And doesn't that isn't that what uh, God's word works in everybody, even in our world today? When we hear the word and we actually believe that it's true, we realize our own uh, sin, our own guilt, our own shame, and that we don't really deserve. God and the things that he's providing. That also teaches us that repentance is not something we do. We create, we decide. Repentance is a gift from God, born from the very word of God. Now, he calls Jesus Lord in uh, verse 8. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Are we to make anything of that in the confession? Well, um, 
we we can uh, the word Lord here uh, oftentimes is the word that stands in the place of the tetragrammaton, the name of God in the Old Testament, and so uh, it's it's possible that Peter's starting to understand that this might be Jesus being God, um, and it also could be just a simple word that means Master, um, and so it could be both, and maybe a little bit of both, and and at the very least it's peter starting to understand but not understanding completely so uh peter confesses his sins and and we do this all the time we tell people we're sorry we tell people that we we blew it we made a mistake or whatever but what comes next is uh almost as miraculous as the confession of peter because jesus said to simon and this is verse 10 of luke 5 do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When somebody tells me I'm sorry, and I look at them and say, I forgive you, they are shocked and astonished. Because forgiveness, and we'll talk about this more when we come back from break, forgiveness is scandalous. How is do not be afraid an absolution, Pastor? Well, uh, the ultimate fear that we have is the fear of hell and death, and uh, all those things are the consequence of sin, which separates us from God. So when Jesus tells Peter he no longer needs to be afraid, specifically then of God, that is an acknowledgment that his sin will be taken care of or is taken care of um, by God himself, that that separation between Peter and God is no longer there. And that's the same thing that happens for us in our absolution. Um, We're no longer separated from God when the words, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are spoken. And it's not because our pastors are uh, powerful people or really nice guys. It's because God's word works that uh, whatever God says happens. When he says, let there be light, there's light. Uh, If God said, let there be a pepperoni pizza with extra cheese, that's what there would be. And uh, when God says, don't be afraid because your sins are forgiven, that's the exact same thing that happens as well. I'm reminded of uh, Luther's words in the small catechism that confession consists of two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and secondly, that we receive absolution as if from God himself. One part confession is nothing. It is sentimental. It is not cathartic in any way, shape, or form. Three part confession where conditions are added, I forgive you if, or I forgive you when, that makes a mockery of the forgiveness of sins. And here we see this in action. Pastor, we got about a minute left in this segment. Most of the time when people look at Luke 5, 1 to 11, The entire sermon, the entire Bible study, the entire theme is about evangelism and mission because Jesus tells Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. How are we to understand that statement from Jesus about being fisher of men? Well, uh, it's oftentimes used as law that you need to do that if you want to be to heaven, and there that makes us look at our own works for our salvation. But I think it's worthwhile seeing how Peter himself is fished into the Christian faith by the preaching of Jesus, by the preaching of the word, uh, by the absolution, the forgiveness of sins. Um, As Peter is brought into the net, that's the same way that the rest of us are brought into the net as well, through preaching and absolution and the sacraments. And so uh, if we're to think that it's going to happen some other way by my own works or my own... um, 
accomplishments, then we're taking God out of the equation and we're really not actually confessing a Christian faith. Well said, and uh, the fact that Peter is the one caught in the net is a uh, is an amazing word picture here. And uh, Peter will throw the net. He will catch men in the same way that Jesus caught him, by the power of the preached word. We need to take a break. When we come back on this fifth Sunday after Trinity, we're going to take a look at our Old Testament reading, a little bit longer narrative from 1 Kings 19, verses 11 to 21. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Wash me and take away each day Let nothing of my sin remain For cleansing always be through pain Christ crucified I call Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Check us out on our... KNNA website, thecross957.org. The uh, program is uh, archived as well as oh, almost four years worth of Proclaiming the One programming. If you're outside of our listening area on 95.7 LP here in Lincoln, Nebraska, you can listen on the church website, the radio website, uh, YouTube channel. There's lots of uh, ways to check us out. We'd love to have you join us, and we also love your feedback. Vicar, you're going to earn your Vicar paycheck on this text. Um, we, we have some uh, wonderful, wonderful names that uh, people probably don't consider naming their children or pets here in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 21. Are you ready for the challenge? Yes. Okay, go. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abba-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Okay, we have a part of the amazing narrative here. Uh, first with Elijah, uh, you know, in First uh, Kings 18, we have the big uh, prayer duel with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And uh, later on, we're going to see Elijah riding up into heaven on a uh, fiery chariot. We got all these things that are going on here in this uh, amazing section of Scripture. And here, uh, Elijah has uh, flown, uh, literally the coop, and he's hiding. He's fearing for his life. They're after him. And he's, uh, he's hiding um, in a cave. And a strong wind comes, an earthquake comes, and a fire comes. But the Lord was not in the strong wind, the earthquake, and the fire. And after the fire, 1 Kings 19, verse 12, the low, uh, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Pastor, before we talked about uh, miracles and how miracles in and of themselves don't convert anyone, it's the word of God that accompanies the miracle. The uh, miracle sometimes gets people's attention so that they can hear the word of God. Is that what's going on here with Elijah? The fire, the earthquake, the strong wind, um, getting his attention so that God can speak his voice to him in this low whisper? Uh, to a certain degree, yes. Um, I mean, Elijah is definitely going to pay attention to these things. We also have to understand who God is, that he is a holy God, and that he's a God that demands reverence, and that um, uh, I think Scripture says he's a consuming fire. Um, this is the reality, too, that we see like with Moses when uh, he goes up on Mount Sinai. A cloud covers the mountain. There's peals of thunder and rumbling um, that surround him, and the people of Israel don't get to come close to God because God is hidden in those things, separated from us so that his holiness doesn't hurt us. And so we also have this idea that as God's getting closer, these things that veil him from our eyes are passing by and while Elijah's not moving in in a sense he is entering into the presence of God entering the holiness entering into a Mount Sinai type of situation uh, so that he can hear this word and this then brings us also then not only to Mount Sinai but also to the Mount of Transfiguration where the same sorts of things happen and um Peter himself from our gospel lesson is in the presence of the holy God with Moses and Elijah uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so he, uh, th that explains also why he wraps his face in the cloak, uh, because, you know, God is a consuming fire. He stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him. God speaks 
to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you hiding? Why are you cowering in fear? You were so bold a chapter earlier with the, uh, with the big prayer duel. Do you fear men more than you fear God? Um, and then the only thing, I wrote a, I wrote a note here in my uh, text. Uh, Elijah says, um, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets, meaning I'm next, with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The note that I wrote in the side of my text was, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Now, I'm not saying that Elijah shouldn't be afraid for his life, but... um, He's really whining and complaining and crying that God's not going to take care of him. Am I looking at that wrong, Pastor? No, I, I don't think so. I think this is um, really key. You mentioned the, uh, the voice comes to him, and so he's hearing God's word. And uh, the first word that God speaks is a word of law, right? Why are you here hiding uh, instead of preaching the word like I asked you to do? Uh, and what is this word from Elijah, essentially, it's not just a boo-hoo, but it's also a self-justification. Here's why I'm hiding. This is is what I'm doing. And God doesn't let us self-justify ourselves. Only Christ justifies. And so there's also an element of that taking place here as well. Okay. So the Lord uh, gives him lots of instructions about who he's to anoint and do this and do that. And then um, it says uh, that he is going to anoint his replacement that Elisha is going to take over for Elijah. Um, how, do you, how do you think Elijah felt about that at this point in time? Um, that uh, maybe I am really going to die. Uh, maybe I've been removed from my office of prophet. Those are the things that come to my mind. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I don't know what Elijah's say, or thinking um he is going to go do what God's word tells him to do, and I think that's key there. But I, I think there's also here where this is ultimately prefiguring Christ and John the Baptist as well. You remember in the gospel lessons we have the discussion about uh, before the Messiah comes, Elijah will come. And uh, Jesus himself says, if you would understand it, John the Baptist was Elijah. And you can even look at the names, right? So uh, Elijah, with a J there, his name means the Lord is God. But the one that he anoints to follow him, uh, his name is Elisha, which means God saves, uh, God redeems, the same way that Jesus' name means uh, the Lord saves. And so we have this kind of foreshadowing, teaching us about what's going to happen with Christ when Christ comes, that John the Baptist will prepare the way the same way that Elijah is preparing the way for Elisha. Uh, and even the names then have that similarity, that similar ring to them as well. When uh, earlier you said that when uh, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? That was a stern word of law. And uh, we know that uh, God has a proper distinction between law and gospel because that's his nature. The uh, gospel then, verse 18, Elijah thinks he's the only one left. Wah, 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 boo-hoo. Verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bound to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Um, 
Is that an absolution, a gospel proclamation there, Pastor? Yes, it is. And I think even um, before that, the words of all these events that are going to happen is also God saying, look, I know you think that Ahab is in control and that he's going to do this and he's going to kill you and that he's the boss. But look, here's actually what's going to happen because I'm the boss and I'm in charge. And so all of this can be taken in a gospel way as well, that uh, the promise is that God is still the master of time and creation, uh, even when we think maybe that he's not. And so we have first that promise that uh, I'm in charge and here's what's going to happen. And then also that promise, and by the way, my word is going to do its work and and there will be people saved by my doing, uh, even as the world tries to undo that with its foolishness. Is that a literal 7,000, Pastor, or is that a symbolic number of all the people that believe? Uh, because 7 is a very significant godly number. 10 times 10 times 10 is a complete number of God. Um, how much should we put into that whole number thing? Yeah, I think um, this is the thing that... Uh, God likes to do uh, even into the fundamental mathematics that make the world works. He inserts himself. And so is it a literal 7,000? Yes. Is it a symbolic 7,000? Yes. I think they're probably both true, and I know that's maybe hard to understand, but God is saying it will be okay because the right number will be saved, or as we heard a couple weeks ago, the banquet will be full uh, on the last day. And so the people who are to be saved, will be saved. And that's not double predestination or anything like that. It's just a, a promise of God. The, uh, th- there's so much more we could talk about here. I want to focus on the last thing after uh, Elisha is anointed, and uh, then he takes the oxen that he had been plowing with. He's forsaking that way of life, just like the disciples are throwing away their nets. Um, and uh, then he cooks the oxen, and he feeds the people. What 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 can we glean from that with regard to a uh, pastor today? Yeah, um, that's part of the job of pastors, uh, and we can see even here he's feeding them the sacrifice, which we can take looking forward as a prefiguring of the Lord's Supper. And I think that we even have Jesus in Luke's gospel uh, quoting this very idea when he says, I think in chapter 9, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, which is Jesus using this example of Elisha uh, as we can't save ourselves by our own actions. We're not worthy, uh, if you will, but we're only saved by grace through faith. Well said. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One, fifth Sunday after Trinity. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor 
Moline Vicker Golden. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, Luke 5, 1 to 11, the miraculous catch of fish and the call of the first disciples. In our third segment, we, we didn't really do it justice, but we, uh, we gave our best shot in a 14-minute segment to look at 1 Kings 19, 11 to 21, God's gentle whisper, God's voice to Elijah, the uh, call of Elisha, and uh, all the things that are entailed with that. Now we want to go to our epistle reading. This is one of those rare Sundays in the one-year series where we have an option for the epistle reading. And we're going to be looking at the optional reading this year here at Good Shepherd. And that's the one we're going to be examining. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 15. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 15. Now remember that many times in the one-year series, the epistle reading is chosen intentionally to be a practical application of the main themes that we've heard in our Gospel and Old Testament reading. Some people are critical of the one-year series for this. Some people say that uh, there's there's too much moralizing going on here. Um, Pastor, do you want to you have a comment or a thought just in general on the way the one-year series is structured? Well, um, the the way I always talk about the one-year series is that if you were to take the fifty-two. Uh, and you have Christmas, Easter, and a couple additional ones in there. Uh, those most important scripture lessons that we need to focus on and learn well, uh, often uh, the one-year lectionary has those in there so that you can hear them every year and really focus on them. Whereas the guiding principle in the three-year lectionary is we want to cover more of scripture and get some of the other ones as well. And so that's kind of the dividing point there. Do we want to cover more scripture or do we really want to know a few spots really well and there's there's the difference the uh, epistle readings that are teaching the practical application of the faith you know sometimes people will say you know i I love hearing the bible but i i wish people would apply it more to my daily life well regardless of what text the pastor preaches on on a sunday morning in the one year series you have that practical application read for you that that place where god's word hits your personal life every week in that epistle reading, uh, 99 times out of 100. And so I think that is a, a, a wonderful feature of that uh, one-year series, and you, know, you can make a debate for either one. We're free in the gospel. First um, Peter 3, 8 to 15. Vicar? Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. All right, we have a lot of connections here to our readings, uh, that whole don't be afraid uh, section, um, the, the unity of mind that is brought about by the Word of God. Pastor, we have a lot of things that we can connect to the headlines that are going on in our in our world today. Tell us a little bit about First Peter in general, the audience and the purpose of First Peter with regard to the suffering that these early Christians were enduring. Yeah, um, First Peter, you know, of course, is written by the Apostle Peter, and uh, beginning. You know, we got to put a time frame here. Maybe that will help us understand things. Jesus is crucified and resurrected somewhere around the year 33 A.D. And Peter uh, is going to be killed, crucified upside down uh, before the end of the reign of Nero. Uh, and so, you know, 67-ish uh, A.D. as well, somewhere in that area. So um, we have these 30 years where... Peter is preaching and teaching, and almost as soon as they begin to go out and preach and teach, uh, they begin to get pushback from the religious leaders of the time, uh, from the government, from um, the people who are making money off of religion in the world, uh, because it was a big business back then. We have to understand that and believe it to be true. So uh, Peter is writing to a people that are hearing the word, uh, being called to faith through the word, just as he says here, right? For you were called uh, that you may obtain a blessing. Uh, they're hearing the word, they're called to the faith, and yet the world is pushing back against them. Um, the place where they'd go get their food at a marketplace was the forum filled with um, uh, statues to fake gods, uh, surrounded by temples to fake gods, and the food that they'd have to buy oftentimes was sacrificed to a fake god and then cut up and sold to make money for that particular cult. Um, and so they have this awkward situation at the grocery store because they're Christian. Uh, they are being persecuted uh, and pushed back against by the Jewish leaders who say, you're not really Jewish now, you're not a part of our society, you need to leave, you need to go away. Um, they're facing persecution uh, from the Roman government, who uh, the Roman government, especially uh, more and more so as we go on from this point in history, deifies their emperors as gods on earth. Um, and so if you're not worshiping the god on earth that is the government, then the government doesn't like you and it pushes back against you. And so lots of these difficult things the people are facing and this is beyond just the everyday neighbor who mistreats you because you're a Christian and a fool. And so Peter is writing to those people to give them comfort as they face these things. And as we see in the, the scripture lesson that we heard, he's driving them back to God's word, the thing that called them, the thing that uh, gave God's forgiveness to them and righteousness to them, that then also defines the way that they live their life. They are going to live their life as... Christians who seek to do God's word and fulfill it, uh, and when they fail, are forgiven by Christ and seek to do better in the future. Repentance and faith, um, that's the sort of thing that he's 
reminding them of. Uh, Be in the word you are called to live in repentance and faith, even as the world hates you. You set that up very well, and uh, I think probably in my lifetime— uh, six decades in uh, in my lifetime, we have never seen the uh, open hostility and persecution of the Christian faith, and uh, it's still far far less than than it is in many other parts of the world. But here in America, we've always prided ourselves as as being you know the land of the free, and you can do and whatever. But now Christians were singled out during the pandemic with regard to worship. Christians are being blamed for all kinds of evil things in the world. Statues of Christian leaders are being torn down. Um, this open hostility and. You know, let us let us point out uh, very, very clearly. There's an open hostility in the highest court of our land toward uh, the sanctity of human life, which is uh, you know one of the very basic points of God's word. And so, um, Peter here speaking to suffering Christians. This this really, really hits home for us who are suffering right now. Um, finally, all of you have unity of mind. So does that mean that everybody should join the same political party, Pastor? Uh, what kind of unity is Peter exhorting us to? No, it's not a political unity. It's not even a, um, you know, we were going to send you to a retraining camp to get you to think the right way or to uh, socially be acceptable or anything like that. Um, and it's not even... Um, you know, uh, we're all going to do the same thing because we live in the same town, but rather the unity that Peter is encouraging is a unity in the Word of God and in the faith that comes about by sitting in the pew next to people of all different stations of life and political classes and uh, social classes and all confessing the same thing according to God's Word, that we are poor, miserable sinners who have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and left undone, and then by hearing the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ applied to that, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being united as we all kneel next to one another and partake uh, of Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, being united in the waters of holy baptism, being united by the work of the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies each and every one of us, no matter whether we're rich or poor, famous or infamous, uh, all those things God doesn't care about, but the faith, that's the true thing that unifies. And uh, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Paul's exhortation in Ephesians, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of us all. This, this is where the unity comes from. And it has nothing to do with economic status. It has nothing to do with uh, the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with whether you're a male or a female, young or old, rich or poor. This unity is God-given, and this unity is in Jesus Christ. The world doesn't understand it. The world will, pro- will persecute you for it. But take heart. Uh, Christ has overcome the world with his bloody death and glorious resurrection. Pastor, there's a section in here, um, you know, we call this uh, an anthropomorphism when we give human attributes to God, but in uh, verse 12 of 1 Peter 3, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Um, how are we to understand those, uh, those word pictures of the one true God? 
Well, um, there is the word picture aspect of it where God does listen to us and he does see what we're doing. Uh, and even the he's against those who don't believe his word. But the amazing thing about God, the truth about God, is that uh, he actually took on human flesh so that he had those things and was able to actually do that, to hear the cries for mercy from people suffering in their everyday lives, to see the need that we had as he experienced uh, people dying and friends, even himself dying. Um, he he was able to do all those things literally in the in. Incarnation, And so it is anthropomorphized uh, aspects of God, yes, but it is also the reality of God as well. And that is the hope that we have. And God encourages us by the power of the Spirit, fed by the Word of God, to always be ready to speak that hope that is in us. Uh, we are a people of hope, not a people of despair. Pa- uh, Vicar, bring this to a close, would you, by praying the Collect of the Day for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. Let us pray. Oh, God. You have prepared for those who love you good things that surpass all understanding. Pour into our hearts such love toward you that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Poppy. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, but most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. See you next week. <laughs>